Welcome to the third Monday in January, 2022. This is the podcast Insanity, a peace of mind. I am your host, Stephanie. This is episode 51, and it is going to be my nod in the direction of a new year, new you, goal setting or not goal setting podcast as I explain my experiences, my understanding, and my opinion regarding goals which now sounds like a very silly word to me, and how I have managed that whole concept over the years. When we think about goals, we think about SMART goals, we think about weight loss, we think about New Year's. I often think about September because I sort of am energized when my kids go back to school and I can start to clear the house out and see some space to do some things. So for me, I always ended up thinking more about what I wanted to do and how I wanted to get things done in September. However, much like a lot of people, we had our annual family goal setting experiences every January. And they included helping the kids as they were younger, breaking their categories down into emotional and spiritual and educational or intellectual, physical, fun, recreational, whatever, however we broke them down and having them set one or two, three, one or two or three goals in those categories. And then ideally we were supposed to come back together every three months, usually a family home evening or something like that and talk about them. And eh, Sometimes we did that, and more often than not, we did not. And so there was no real accountability among family members for the goals. Some people did better than others. Some people set goals that they knew they were going to reach no matter what, because they were just built into their life's experiences. I, for one, set the same goals probably year after year after year. And it was never a particularly useful endeavor. And I kept at it because I felt like that's what I was supposed to do as the mother. We talked about the SMART goal setting, which is an abbreviation for something. (laughs) Um, Whatever, you're going to have to look it up yourself because that's how pathetic I am at the moment. I don't know what SMART means. And we would try a variation when I got a new idea from someone else. And usually the same results. It worked for maybe two, three, four months. And then it lost steam or I didn't initiate the follow-up. Whatever. So I ultimately did something different. And I've mentioned a couple of these things previously. Actually, I only did one thing that I've talked about previously, 
What I didn't do, as I just explained, is didn't make any real accountability for the goals. And in an earlier podcast, I talked about the idea of creating an accountability buddy to help you move forward with the things that you want to get done. It wasn't specifically talked about in the case of goals, but certainly if you have something you want to get done, it is probably a goal of sorts. And I didn't do that, at least not very well, with my family. What I did do at the beginning of 2021 is abandon goal setting for values and values exploration and values clarification. Now, all of my children are adults. We did not sit down and do this together. I did, however, have a family dinner where we gathered together and I handed out packets and talked to them about values exploration and encouraged them to do it on their own and with their spouses or partners or us if they wanted to. And then to consider setting goals based on their values because that helps create a foundation with which you are then motivated to pursue some kind of achievement or experience based on a value. We did not set goals. We did not return to the topic. We did not do anything with it. I just left it at that. This year, 2022, three weeks in, and I've done nothing. And I don't plan on doing anything. And I've shed the minimal angst or mommy guilt that I have for not sitting down with my adult children and have a goal setting experience because I've ultimately decided that at my age and their age, I can finally admit that I don't particularly like goal setting. I don't particularly think it's effective. It certainly hasn't borne out so in my life, at least not in that formalized goal setting way. And I've learned a few things about why. And I'm going to try and articulate those things to you guys. I'm going to give you a little bit of background, maybe even some foreground, but it starts with this. Within the last, I don't know, 12 to 15 months, our book gang read the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I didn't read it. I listened to it. And then I liked it so much that I actually went out and bought it and put it on my shelf. And I remember really enjoying it. I remember thinking about it for a while. And then much like all books, especially for me, self-help books, I don't really think much about it anymore. And that would be the end of it. And I have a friend who talks about, I believe she rereads this book every year. And I thought, huh, that's an interesting thought. And then I've had two people, random and widely separated, say to me that they have never read the book, but they have read or heard a synopsis of it. 
And I thought, okay, this has now come up three times. Maybe I'll pick the book up again and look at it again. So I picked it up, started it, audio, because it's easier and faster for me that way. And I got maybe 15 minutes in before I decided to stop because I figured it would be a good book to listen to with my husband. So he agreed and we've been listening to it. And we are only two chapters in. And at the end of our hike the other day, we were listening to it. He expressed something that really resonated with me. He said that he has never been much of a goal setter, didn't really like the concept, but has never been able to articulate why. And listening to this book and hearing James Clear talk about the difference between goals and habits has synthesized and clarified and given words to his thought or thoughts about why he has not resonated with goal setting. And I agree. And that had sort of come to my mind as well. So we're only two chapters in, in this second go around, but I want to talk about some key points that he talks about. And I want to do it in the context of disclosing to you some personal things, not real personal, so don't get excited, but personal things about how I want this to play out in my life over the next few months, because I'm not going to go so far out as a year, but the next few months. First of all, I'm going to make you all some form of accountability buddies for me. Because I have some things that I want to do this year in the next few months, and I have some things that I have to do this year. And a couple of them are way out in the future, but I have to start preparing right now. I have to take two tests for my license. The first one I want to take sometime in February. And I have talked to people who have taken it. Some have not studied at all, and it has gone just fine. Others have studied a little, some have studied a lot, and the results are varied. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but I'm committed to taking this test by the end of February. That's number one. There are some things I want to do in connection with this podcast the blog and the social media interaction. And I don't have all of the ideas fleshed out, but I want to get some of them fleshed out and I want to create a more vibrant and, oh, I don't know what the word is, more vibrant and interactive community, so to speak. Vague, I know. I'm not sure what that means, but. I am putting it out there to be held accountable. I know I have said some things about what I want to do so far that I have not yet done. And my apologies to those who have held me accountable to that. That's part of what I would like to get taken care of this year, preferably in the first half of the year. 
And so I need to work on that. The last half of the year, I have to take another test. And this is a biggie. And this one I absolutely have to study for. And I don't have any choice. I can't put it off. Procrastinating would be silly. And so these are some things that I want to do. These things are in addition to just your regular old, you know, house stuff, spring cleaning or new year cleaning or painting or maintenance that I want to get done and am not able to put into my schedule. So I am going to attempt to incorporate some of the ideas that I am learning in Atomic Habits. And I want to share them with you because they are incredibly valuable. And if you have found yourself wanting to read the book or hearing about the book and not reading it, I suggest you pick it up, hard copy or paperback or Kindle or audio, whatever you want. And if you are not inclined to read the book and want to get some of the ideas from the book from me, I will probably do that periodically through the year. So I'm going to take a lot of stuff very directly from the book. And I feel okay about that because I've seen plenty of podcasts where people just do book reviews. And I've never been totally comfortable with that, but this is going to be one of them. I'm going to start with chapter one, which he has titled The Surprising Power of Atomic Habits. At the end of each chapter, he gives a chapter summary, which is really awesome. And he has six bullet points in the chapter summary, and I'm going to talk about the first three, and that's it, and tell you a little bit about them and whet your appetite for more information about atomic habits. So the first one is that habits are the compound interest of self-improvement. Getting 1% better every day counts for a lot in the long run. He talks about this in connection with compound interest and recognizing how you don't have to see something immediately for it to have huge benefit or reap huge rewards for you in the long run. So he breaks down a chart where he talks about positive compounding and negative compounding. Under positive compounding, he talks about productivity. So for example, accomplishing one extra task a day doesn't seem to make a big deal in the short run. So if I want to clean out a bedroom, which is full of stuff that does not belong to me, and I walk into the bedroom and the whole project overwhelms me and I walk out and I can't do anything, in all likelihood, I'm going to continue to use that room to stack more stuff in it. It's going to look bad already. 
I'm going to be frustrated with what's in it. And instead of cleaning up, I'll probably add more boxes or store much more stuff in there. That is a bad habit. But if I do one thing a day in that room, for example, go through all the books, that's not going to make a monumental difference until 10 days have passed and I probably have the room clean. But if I do nothing and I perpetuate a negative habit of doing nothing, then in all likelihood, the room is going to get messier. So the more task I can handle on a daily basis, the more productive and the greater the results will be at the end. He talks about knowledge compounds under positive compounding. So learning one new idea is not going to make me an expert in any field ever, probably. But a commitment to learning one new thing a day is a commitment to lifelong learning. And that can be transformative for anybody. So each book I read teaches me something new and allows me the opportunity to take on different perspectives and to understand things in a different way. So the more investment I make in learning something, the it will compound over my lifetime, which is pretty much half over at this point. I have, I'll give a personal example for this one. I have signed up and subscribed to, I don't know, half a dozen email lists or subscriber lists or blogs or something like that for therapy interventions or, oh gosh, this idea, highly sensitive people or mindfulness or the Gottman Institute, a lot of them. And I never read a single one of them. And so my new approach is to read one a day. And they're three to five minute reads. They're not long. And so I'm going to commit to lifelong learning by reading one new article or blog post or email that is sent to me by one of these places that I have signed up for. And in the long run, it will be transformative. He also talks about relationships compound. His example is that people reflect your behavior back to you. So for example, the more you serve others or the kinder you are to others, that will reflect back and people will be more helpful and they will be kinder to you and they will be kinder to others. And each interaction, while every one of them is just tiny, 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 and it won't feel like you're making your relationships better, but over the long run, the connections will grow stronger and stronger over time. Okay, then he has a column for negative compounding. 
And the first one he uses is stress compounds. And stress can be anything from a dirty kitchen that someone else was supposed to clean up to a client who has no-showed you four times in a row to parenting small children. And on a daily basis, these things don't seem to be that big of a deal. But over time, and when they persist for years, these stresses compound into some serious health issues. A high blood pressure, heart disease, anxiety, um, chronic uh, fibromyalgia, sleep disturbances. And unless you learn how to deal with those stresses on a daily basis, incident by incident, you are negatively compounding their effects. The other one, is, another one is negative thoughts compound. So let's say you have an inner critic that tells you you can't do something or you are worthless or you are not lovable. These constant thoughts will eventually condition you to see life that way. You will view life through this negative, through a compounded negative lens and you get trapped in these thought loops of a negative cycle. The, and this is the same as it relates to how you think about others. If you have a relationship that's not working out really well between you and a friend or a coworker, and the negative thoughts are they're so irresponsible or they treated me badly or any negative thought that you have, you allow each one to compound until over your lifetime, you are stuck seeing negativity everywhere. And it's hard to get out of. Uh, he says outrage compounds. Uh, this is more socially driven um, and more, this is kind of, well, I don't know how to explain it. So he talks about riots, protests, and mass movements are rarely the result of a single event. And then he describes that it's usually as a result of long series of microaggressions and daily aggravations that slowly multiply until finally the scales are tipped and outrage spreads like wildfire. If we transform these into kind conversations, open empathy, where we are willing to put ourselves in another person's shoes and consider different perspectives, we can increase, well, we can decrease those microaggressions and the compounding of all of those negative feelings. So that's how he describes compounding, both positively and negatively. And it makes a lot of sense. Okay, the next one in his summary is habits are a double-edged sword. They work for you or against you. And then he goes on to explain why understanding the details of our habits is really important. 
he has a lot of details in chapter one about understanding habits, and I'll just highlight a few. They Habits can cut you down just as easily. Bad habits can cut you down just as easily as good habits can build you up. And knowing how they work and how to design them to fit your lifestyle allows you to avoid the negative cycle of bad habits. He explains that we need to break our life down into habits so that we are progressing toward an end. It doesn't matter how successful or unsuccessful you might feel right now in your life or in a certain portion of your life. For example, I've hit about a year where I have been working specifically at a place doing my job. And I'm to the point where I feel like I'm lagging in, I don't know, I can't even articulate it very well, but I feel like I'm lagging in a specific therapy. No, that's not even it. Okay. Anyway, I'm suffering from a tiny bit of insecurity. Let's just put it that way. And I don't feel unsuccessful, but I do feel a little bit stagnant. And so his suggestion that I am incorporating is it doesn't matter whether I feel stagnant right now. What matters is that I am doing something, creating habits that are putting me on the path towards decreasing that feeling of stagnation. So I'm not worried about achieving a goal so much as I am worried about changing my daily life to move me in a path to decrease the feeling of uh, not being where I want to be. Does that make sense? So he gives these examples. If you're a millionaire and you spend more money than you earn each month, then you're on a bad trajectory. It doesn't matter what goes on. If you continue that habit, you will end up poor. But if you're poor and you save a little bit of money every month, then you are on the trajectory and the path towards financial freedom, even if the movement is slow. So for example, if I choose to read a new article every single day, I am on the trajectory for improving my knowledge, increasing my competency and my confidence in my current job. If I don't read an article every day, then I am not only moving forward, but in all likelihood, I'm losing opportunity. So he states that our outcomes are lagging measures of our habits. So if we are looking at our net worth and we see it negatively, it is a lagging measure of our financial habits. If we don't save anything and spend more than we make, our outcome will be negative. If we save each month, then our outcome will be positive. If you're trying to lose weight, your weight is a lagging measure of your eating habits. 
It doesn't matter if you are, if you set a goal to lose weight, if you eat more or you don't eat less every day, then you're, you're lagging in that measure. So that's a little bit of information on understanding habits so that you can always be dancing on the positive edge of the double-edged sword. The third one that I'm going to do for this podcast is small changes often appear to make no difference until you cross a critical threshold. The most powerful outcomes of any compounding process are delayed. You need to be patient. When I read these chapter summaries, they are direct quotes out of his book. So let's talk about small changes. James Clear talks about how habits often appear to make no difference until you cross what he refers to as a critical threshold. And then you unlock a new level of performance. He gives the example of bamboo. Apparently bamboo is almost non-existent for the first five years of its planted life and then because it's busy underground growing a network of roots and you know a system to help it thrive and then all of a sudden it shoots up literally like nine feet in the air I did not know that but that's one of his examples so he talks about how in the middle and the early and middle stages of any uh any thing that you want to accomplish any big we'll call it goal setting experience, although he debunks the word goal and why we shouldn't set goals later in the book, but we'll call it that for now. The early and middle stages of any goal setting uh, opportunity, there is a valley of disappointment. And it's because you expect to make progress in a I guess we think life is linear and we expect to make progress in a linear fashion. And what we get frustrated with is we don't see the changes that we want. So days go by, weeks go by, months go by, and you haven't lost the weight you wanted, or you haven't learned a new skill, or you haven't cleaned the room that you wanted to clean. And it doesn't feel like you're, or the room isn't clean. It's not that you haven't cleaned it. It's that it's not clean. And it isn't that you haven't lost weight, but you haven't lost the amount of weight that you wanted to. Or everything seems so slow and pointless. And so it feels like we're getting nowhere. And the illustration or the understanding of how things compound is the key point here. Because the most powerful outcomes are delayed. So if you think about compound interest and your checking account or your savings account or your, you know, Roth IRA or whatever it is, wherever you have your money, if you look at your monthly statements and see that tiny bit of interest added every month, it is insubstantial and inconsequential. But if you wait 10, 20, 30 years, you will then see the compounding of that and 
it can be fairly substantial. So the lack of observable movement is one of the reasons why it is so hard to build lasting habits. We make small changes, we don't see any tangible results, and then we stop. So I've been running every day and I can't see any changes to my body. Or uh, what else? I've been dieting for three months and I've only lost three pounds. Once we hit that wall of frustration and observable, uh, well, failure, but it's not, and we, it makes it easy to stop. We don't want to keep going. And we let our good habits fall by the wayside. And then our bad habits move in to fill that void. So what's the solution? The solution is, is that we're not looking for short-term goals or short-term results. We are persisting long enough to break through the plateau. So you can see a plateau of sorts if you are a runner or if you run, even if you're a novice runner, because you run, let's say you want to run for an hour or you want to run three miles, say you want to run three miles and you run and at about mile one, one and a half, you feel like you have hit a wall. I'm speaking about me. This happens to me. I feel like I'm hitting a wall. And I want to stop so bad I can hardly stand it. And if I just push through what I refer to as that plateau, then when I get on the proverbial other side, my body settles into a rhythm. I've worked out all my pains and my kinks, and I'm ready to keep going. He calls it, James Clare calls it, the plateau of latent potential. And so... When you find yourself struggling to build a good habit or alternatively break a bad habit, it doesn't have anything to do with your ability. It's just because you have hit that proverbial wall referred to as the plateau of latent potential. And you have to get through that and realize that nothing you've done up until that point has been wasted. It's just being stored for that breakthrough moment when you push through and finally see some kind of results. Maybe that feels like it happened overnight. Maybe it looks like it happened overnight to everybody looking in, but that's not the case. There were a lot of little things that went into breaking through that plateau of latent potential. And you know what they are because you kept working every day. You ran even when you didn't notice any difference. You went to the gym, even though you still weighed the same as you did when you started. You read one new article every single day. You cleaned one new thing in that overfilled, dirty room. And then one day, you see what looks like major improvement. And so 
short term. We're not looking for short term. We're not looking for small changes in the short term. We are making sure that we are doing something every single day to compound the process and see the results after we've pushed through the plateau of latent potential. Well, that's all of chapter one for now. I will revisit James Clear Atomic Habits either directly or indirectly throughout the next several months because he's got some awesome ideas that I think would benefit almost everybody. And I have also realized how beneficial this subject and the way he presents it would be to my clients because part of therapy is setting therapeutic goals and what you want to accomplish and how you want to accomplish it. And I think I could share this information with my clients and they would be much benefited by understanding some of these uh, new ways of setting goals. I keep saying goals, wait till I tell you about how he undermines the, or sort of dismantles the idea of setting goals and how and why, because that's pretty interesting. So I will end with this. James Clear said, when making plans, think big. When making progress, think small. And with that, my dear friends, have a good week. 